0: Good evening, everyone. Thank you to Ethan and Mr. Eddie. So it's an honor to be up here tonight to just share my heart, what God's been doing in my life, um, and what he's been teaching me. And um, so just thank you for having me tonight. To start out, I want to just tell you guys something that I discovered, though, very recently, and it has been very valuable for me. Have you ever heard of the McDonald's app? Yeah? Okay, some of you probably haven't. Um, I know Brandon Lee loves it, because during, at classes, I love free food, and so I'm sure you all love free food too, because you can't beat that. And so the McDonald's app, you get these, you just have to sign in and you get free food. You just like buy something and you get, so like a buttermilk chicken sandwich, you buy one, you get one free. You can't beat that. Yeah, exactly. That's what I said. And so... Yeah, when I, when I discovered this, I started doing it between classes at UNG, and Brandon was laughing at me. He's like, why are you so excited? And I'm like, it's free food. You can't beat that. So I'm get, I get like a sausage McMuffin, and then I get a free caramel frappe, which is normally like $3.39 with tax. And it's so $4-something worth of food for $1.19, and I you can't beat that. And so last week, I converted Brandon, and he came and did it with me. <laughs> So, anyway, I just thought you all might want to know about free food. But the interesting thing about this app and the free food is that it's like totally free. Like, you download a free app and then you get free food, which is, I don't know, I didn't do anything for McDonald's. They just decided to give me free food. And grace is the same way, it's totally free. And so, what God has been teaching me this past few months, if I could sum it up in like one statement, would be until I understand the gravity of my sin, I miss out on the glory of grace. I'm going to say it again, yeah. Until I understand the gravity of sin, I miss out on the glory of grace. And so that's what the Lord's been showing me. And so I want to kind of just share in more detail about that tonight. So the first thing is, I knew sin was bad, doing right things was good, and I lived by that. But it wasn't until recently that God really took that from my head and sunk into my heart what the real weight of my sin is. And so to start out, just a few definitions of sin. Some are really familiar, and then one new one that I recently discovered. And so the first one is the Greek word for sin literally means missing the mark. And to help me understand this, um, a visual, I like visual things, it helps me understand. And so a few years ago, I played basketball for MACA. We were playing a team down towards Atlanta, and it was a tight game. And at the end of the game, the other team was shooting free throws, and they shot and missed, and one of our players grabbed the rebound and just got confused and scored on their goal, which is like the ultimate, you don't do that in basketball, like (laughs) wrong goal, you're shooting on that side of the floor, not this side, and so that's like what our sin is, it's like shooting on the completely wrong goal, Um, and then another definition is C.S. Lewis said, sin is treason against the most high God, and treason, as we're all familiar with, is a Uh, one of the biggest crimes you can commit and is punishable by death. And so C.S. Lewis said that's what sin is, treason against the Most High God. But more recently, John Piper said this, sin is loving anything more than God. Sin is loving anything more than God. And that really hits home for me because the first and greatest commandment, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So literally loving anything. So that gets me thinking, like if I love sports more than God, If I love academic success, more than God. If I love my own personal pleasure, if I love my family, uh, myself, if I love my own personal comfort, if I love my career, I mean, I work at Sicily, so that's pretty great. Uh, If I love my potential future retirement, uh, if I love even spiritual things, my own spiritual gifts or the spiritual riches I have in heaven, anything I love more than God is sin. And here's the deal. It's it's not uh, just the things I listed. It's a matter of the heart. Putting anything before God is it's an idol. And ultimately, I think to myself, like, idols, that's Old Testament, you know, Ten Commandments, I don't worship anything. Like, I'm not bowing down before a Buddha in my house or anything. But ultimately, if, if Sicily's, if I love that more than God, then I'm placing that in my heart above God, and I might as well be worshiping a Buddha in my house. And so... My first question for myself, and that I would encourage y'all to ask yourselves tonight, is, is there anything in your life that you're loving more than God? Anything that's on the throne of your heart above God? So, sin, as we all know, has the death penalty, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. And I knew that, but the weight of that verse never really sunk in with me. All too often for me, sin was kind of like a bump in the road, like, oh, sorry about that, God. And then I would just forget about it. But almost like when you're walking in a store and you bump into someone and you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, I didn't even see you there. And then, and then you move on, you forget about it. And that's how I was treating sin. I was treating it like casually. But the thing is, Hebrews 12, one says something. <laughs> Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So it describes sin as a weight, something that clings closely. Some translations would say uh, that entangles us. And so if I treat sin casually, like, oh, I'm sorry about that, God, and then forget about it, I'm not laying aside that weight. I'm still entangled. It's still clinging to me, and I continue to trip up, and it's a problem the next day, and the next day, and the next day, and it continues on. It's like, have you ever heard of Fat-Free Cool Whip? Apparently that's a thing. Fat-Free Cool Whip yeah okay it's a thing and but like that makes I could eat a whole tub of that right because it's fat free it makes it healthy, but it doesn't okay there's still a lot of bad stuff in cool whip, and it's this treating sin casually is the same way it, on the surface, it might sound good, oh you know, fat free, but ultimately, what's on the inside i 'm still entangled, still caught up in my sin, I need to lay it aside, like completely gone, unentangle myself from sin, and so I wasn't, I wasn't aware of the gravity of my sin and it needed to sink into my heart. And so what the Lord showed me is, I realized that I was treating sin flippantly because ultimately the world treats sin flippantly and I would venture to say often the American church as a whole treats sin very flippantly. We don't, it's just a casual thing, it's like whatever because that's what, our, that's what the world says. But the, what the Lord used was actually the Israelites to show me the real weight of sin and I don't remember specifically, but I believe I was reading Ezra, and that's, this is what I found. Ezra 9.3 says, um, so the Israelites had been going and uh, getting wives from foreign nations around them for their sons, which was God absolutely said no to because uh, they would, the Israelites would then go and pursue other gods. But the Israelites did this, and when Ezra, who was leading the Israelites, heard it, he said, as soon as I heard this, I tore my garment and my cloak pulled my hair from my head and beard and sat appalled. So then after appealing to the Lord, he got the Israelites together. And in chapter 10, verse one, it says, while Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, a very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel for the people wept bitterly. Does my response to sin look like this? Am I down on my knees, repenting, weeping? I mean, pulling I don't have any beard hair to pull, but pulling hair out of my head? Or am I going around casually, like, oh, sorry, God, moving on? And so that struck me, and I was like, wow. And what I think the Israelites got that I don't get, and often the church misses, is God's holiness and power, his awesome power. Because I have this picture in my mind of God as this loving father who just wants to wrap his arms around me, pour out more grace and more grace to me. And while these things are absolutely true and so important, what I forget is that God is to be feared. Uh, James uh, chapter four, verses eight through 10. James was dealing with believers who treated sin flippantly. He said, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. James tells this, he says, cleanse your hands, purify your hearts, stop laughing about this and start mourning. The writer of Hebrews chapter 10 verse 31 said, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is to be feared and revered. And the Israelites understood that and often they did go after other nations, pursued other gods, but when they came back to God, they recognized what they had done and that it was a, like a major deal that they had broken their covenant with the Lord and they repented. They saw what they were shooting on the wrong goal, stopped and started going the opposite direction in truth. And too often, I feel like my response to sin when I'm loving things more than God, when I'm pursuing my own way, is to apologize when I need to be on my knees and repentance. So I think when it comes to what we call big sin issues, it can be easy to recognize, okay, I need to repent and move on. Um, If I'm constantly dealing with selfishness or anger, I, I can recognize that and say, okay, I need to stop and go in the other direction. But I think lots of times what we call the little sin issues are the things that we ignore, we justify, and we become ultimately numb to. And so we little things like lying, we, uh, or just talking back to my parents, or things like that. I say, oh, it's no big deal. I justify it. I think back to, I was around four, and court would have been about one or one and a half. And for some reason, I liked to touch him when he was sleeping. I guess he was cute. I don't know what happened to him. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I got one of the best-looking brothers around. But um, anyway... So I would touch him when he was sleeping. I don't know why, but anyway. So mom was like, Nate, you gotta stop doing this. You're waking up Court when he's sleeping. And so I was like, okay, I was really obedient. I, I wouldn't touch Court anymore. But then one day mom went in and found Court sleeping again and I had a paintbrush and I was painting him with the paintbrush. And mom was like, Nate, I said not to touch Court. And I said, I'm not, the paintbrush is. <laughs> so I justified what I was doing. In my mind, it was perfect. I was, paint- I was not touching him, it was a paintbrush. Ultimately, what I didn't understand is I was still disobeying what my mom had told me. That was above my head, but we tend to do. I do that now, like I say, with God. With God. Exactly. Yeah, I justify um, some something small, what we call small, from our worldly perspective. Human uh, human perspective is so skewed, though. It's because sin is sin, and so little things like lying to get out of an awkward situation. Uh, uh, no, I, that wasn't me, because to avoid discomfort. It's still sin. It's loving my own comfort more than I'm loving, obeying God, loving God. Something like, Pastor Jerry, you mentioned food this morning. I talked about McDonald's. Eating a full dinner and then being stuffed and then mom brings out dessert and I'm like, oh, I'm so full, but that looks so good. And it's, yeah, it's her, yeah, exactly. Thanks, mom. No, but I, I'm like, well, I don't want to hurt her feelings. Everyone else is going to eat dessert. I don't want to miss out. And so I eat the dessert, and I'm gluttonous, and sin is sin. It doesn't matter. And I justify it, okay? It's loving the dessert, the food that's in front of me, when there's people starving all around the world, loving, gorging myself more than loving obeying God. Maybe it's a show or a movie. Everyone's going to see it. All my Christian friends are going to see it, but I know it doesn't honor God. Then ultimately, if I choose to go to the movie, I'm choosing, I justify it. Everyone's going. My Christian friends are going but I'm choosing to love what I wanna do, love that, going to see that movie, more than I'm loving God, choosing my way over his. And the problem with sin is that big or little, it creates a divide in our relationship with God. And it quenches the spirit. And the Bible clearly says, do not quench the spirit. But when I sin, I'm quenching the Holy Spirit inside me. And instead of having a heart that's soft and open to conviction, my heart becomes hard and numb And when I sin, do something little once, it's easy to do it again and again. And ultimately, my heart is hardened to that sin. But the thing is, is that if I am not completely 100% sold out to God in every area, I tend to compartmentalize, oh, God in this area, God in this area, I can do what I want here and here. But the thing is, God has to permeate everything. The whole, my whole life, and anything that I am trying to hold on to, anything I'm loving and holding on to for myself, is separating me from God. It's either all or nothing. We're all in for God or we're in for ourselves. He wants all of us. And so my second question that I ask myself, and I would encourage us all to ask tonight, is there anywhere in our lives that we are numb to sin? Anywhere in our lives, we're numb to sin. And the beautiful thing is, is that God does abound in grace when I constantly fall and stumble. But what I've thought to myself, what God showed me is that's all the more reason to recognize the magnitude of my sin and walk away from it. Uh, Romans chapter six, verse one and two. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who are dead to sin still live in it? And so... What God was showing me is I give you this free, I've given you salvation, this free gift of grace. And instead of taking it and running with it in freedom, you choose to go back to your sin, go back to the bondage, to the entanglement. But God's given me this grace. Why do I go back to my bondage? I should live in that freedom. And ultimately, it's my flesh battling with my spirit. Galatians 5, 16 and 17. But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Too often I choose to gratify the desires of my flesh. I choose my way over God's way. But how foolish of me is what God showed me. How foolish of me to say, my way is better than yours, God. Ultimately, another thing, ignoring the Holy Spirit. If God tells me, Nate, go pray for that person while I'm working, I'm like, "Ah, oh, that's a little awkward. Uh, I'm going to go deal with this customer instead. Um, but ultimately, in that moment, what I'm really saying to God is, actually, I think my way is better. I love my comfort more than obeying you, and I would rather choose to do things my way. And that is, that's wrong. God says, though, if you love me, you will obey my commandments, and so instead of choosing my own way, I'm choosing my own love for myself and my comfort over God, choosing to gratify the desires of my flesh as, to, as opposed to obeying the Spirit. And ultimately, usually God, God doesn't need me to go pray for that person. He's, want, he's wanting to bless me as I pray for that person and bless the person as well. So here's the thing, is I am so fallible, we all are, and so in need of a gracious savior, but too often I forget that instead of treating sin casually, because I've received so much grace, that I need to lay aside the sin, as Hebrews 12 says, and that I'm not called to be a casual Christian, but I'm called to holiness. 1 Peter one 14 through 14-16, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. We're supposed to cast aside the ways of our former ignorance, the worldly passions, because just as Jesus who called us is holy, and the culture or the world around us screams otherwise, it says, do what you want, live for yourself, live for the American dream, live for the church's version of the American dream, live for your own passions, love what you want. But Jesus was never going with the culture. He was always so counterculture, And he's the one who called me. And just as he was holy, I am to be holy. So my third question, I've asked, am I loving anything more than God? Is there any area of my life that I'm numb to sin? And my third question for myself and all of us tonight is, am I yielding to my flesh or to the spirit? And am I living in the way the world calls me, or am I living in the call to holiness? So for me, after God showed me uh, sin seriousness and my numbness, grace has taken a whole new look. And can we, like, shout out to me some common definitions or popular current definitions of what grace is? Anybody? God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. Okay, that's a good one. Unmerited Unmerited favor, yeah. Excellent, yes. Those are some of the common... Things which are absolutely true and absolutely powerful. But what God showed me specifically was, uh, we all are familiar with Romans 5.8, for while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so that was cool. I was like, okay, God died for me knowing that I'm a sinner. But what amazes me is that he knew that after I accepted him, I would go back to that bondage of sin instead of choosing to walk in the freedom of life that he offered. That I would choose to pursue my own way over God's way that even after he died for me, gave his own son for me, that I would choose to love myself more than I loved him. And I would choose to love my own way, to choose, think that my way is better than his way, to continually forsake him, and yet he died for me anyway. He gave himself for me anyway. And that was just like, oh my gosh, like mind-blowing. Okay, but then the, the other cool thing that really amazes me it comes is grace is not just one and done, Romans 5.2 through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That verse says this grace in which we stand, and the word stand is present tense continual, which means that it is a continuing thing. As a believer, if I've received grace, I cannot escape it. I'm constantly standing in it for now, tomorrow, and forever. So God didn't just give me grace to salvation. He gave me a grace that is continual when I screw up over and over and over and over. He continues to pour out that grace to me. It reminds me of the song, How He Loves, which one line says, if his grace is an ocean, we're all sinking. And that's so true. It's like we're in an ocean of grace as believers. But not only that, Titus 2, 11 and 12 tells us that grace is training us. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It says that God, grace is training us. So not only do we stand in the grace, but the grace trains us. And so I was like, okay, God, what does that mean? Like, I don't, I don't know what that means. So I, as I was asking God this, he reminded me of a conversation my mom and I had had about grace and paracord. Okay, so... What we're talking about is that um, grace is more than just unmerited favor, more than just God, that acronym, um, that grace is packed full of God's steadfast love. It's full of God's mercy. It's full of God's kindness. It's full of God's patience as I continually go my own way. And it's full of God's faithfulness as he's always there, ready, when I choose to come back. And this reminded me of uh, us of Paracord because I don't know if y'all know what paracord is. It's this cord right here, and it's like the ultimate survival cord. Cord approves it, so. um, And it holds, this little cord can hold up right here, could hold 550 pounds. And then if I was to like add more cords to it, it would be able to exponentially hold more and more weight. And what makes this cord strong is it has this outer camouflage casing here, and then it has these inner nylon strands. And for whatever reason, that makes it really strong. And so if I was, like, if you tied me up in this, I would nowhere close to be strong enough to break through it. If you wrapped it around me several times, I would just ask that you bring me some of your free McDonald's because I wouldn't be able to, I wouldn't be able to move my arms to eat, okay? So this stuff is super strong. Okay, well, grace is the same way. Grace is like the outer casing, and then in, within grace comes God's steadfast love, his mercy, his kindness, patience. And faithfulness to us and that grace we stand in it it's wrapped around us and nothing I can do nothing I can love nothing I can choose before God no matter how many times can break that grace because I stand in it and God it's not just salvation it is continual and so nothing I can do can break or sh- the bond it's not a bondage it's a-, a freeing yoke of grace and so what God showed me is as I'm continually surrounded by this grace how can I and God's love and mercy, kindness, patience, faithfulness. How can I not but begin to grow in these things as I seek Him and walk in the grace that I stand in, the grace that He's given me? As I walk in that, I begin to take on these truths, the fruits of the Spirit, and it trains me to renounce ungodliness, to say no to my worldly passions, to say no to choosing my own way, to choosing to love other things, and instead to choose godliness, to live upright, a self controlled, godly life, to live in holiness. So I've asked, is there anything in my life that I'm loving more than God? Is there any sins I'm numb to in my life? Am I yielding to the spirit or to the flesh? Am I living to the call of holiness or to the call of the world? And my fourth question is, am I being trained by grace? So going back to the first statement I made, until I understand the gravity of sin, I miss the glory of grace. And here's the deal. Sin is so big. It's, it's huge. It means death. And so anything in our lives not given to God, anything I love more than God, anything I choose before God, anything I pursue instead of God is death. I'm choosing death when I choose those things. Even the little choices, lying, gluttony, I'm choosing death what's world-shattering that blows my mind is that, sure, sin is big, but our God is so much bigger. His grace is always greater than my sin, always. I can never break through. I'm never going to be able to get rid of his grace. It's always going to come and overflow and be an ocean around me. So just to close, some thoughts. Are we standing in that grace? Are we living in the call to holiness? Or are we numb and holding on to the world, even if it's a small bit? Are we holding on to things? So, with that in mind, uh, Ethan's going to come up and he ha- have one one more song to sing, and just that we can reflect on the truths of God's grace.
1: to sense of it all I know that your love breaks my fall a scandal of grace you died in my place where oh, my soul will live and to be like you I give all I have just to know Jesus, there's no one beside you Forever the hope in my heart Death, where is your sting? Your power is dead as my sin The cross has taught me to live See my heart now to see A day in its troubles shall come I know that your strength is enough A scandal of grace You died in my place So my soul will live Out of beyond just know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you. Forever All because of you, Jesus is so. Because of your love, and my soul will love. Stand up for the last part and sing it with me if you would. do oh, be like you. Give all I have just to know you. Jesus, there's no one beside you Forever the hope in my heart Don't be like you Give all I have just to know you Jesus, there's no one beside you Forever the hope in my heart. All right. Um, is someone gonna pray?
0: I can ask Jared. All right. So, um, thank you, Ethan. And just before we go, I just want to pray. And just, uh, yeah, Lord, I just thank you so much that you came and uh, came to speak through me tonight, Lord, and speak through the worship, Lord. I pray that just as we go home, we would be reflecting, Lord, on, on our lives, Lord, the, the immense weight of sin that we could not bear, Lord, but your grace is enough and your grace covers it over, Lord. And I just praise you and thank you so much for that, Lord. I thank you for what you've done tonight and pray that um, just as we go out throughout the week that we would be living and standing in that grace, being trained by that grace, Lord. In your name we pray, amen.
1: You guys are dismissed. I just wanted to say that uh, you know I'm super proud of our youth of uh, Nate bringing the word, Ethan leading us in worship, um, Grant getting up last minute when I throw the announcements at him five minutes before the service started. Um, but and and I just wanted to say thank you to you as well for the investment that you guys put into our into our youth and the, your prayers and support. Um, just really.